if we could examine the mind of a good woman. Now, Seneca is referring to a good man, but of course, we can we can broaden that today. Obviously, if we could examine the mind of a good woman, oh, what a beautiful, what a sacred sight we would see! What grandeur, what calm would shine forth in it, and what virtues! Justice on one side, courage on the other, moderation and prudence over there. Besides these, frugality, self-control, endurance, generosity and cheerfulness would shed their light upon it. What grace and what dignity would these bestow? How great its authority the mind of a woman would be and how much appreciated beloved it would be yet at the same time revered i think seneca probably did have the mind of a woman in mind when he wrote that and welcome to the stoic salon podcast where we talk about life love work, play, the universe, and a bit of stoicism. And today, on the occasion of International Women's Day, I wanted to talk about stoicism and beauty. I invited a few stoic women to join me on this day. So I'll be joined by Sharon LaBelle the much-loved author of the best-selling book, The Art of Living, which has inspired philosophy lovers and the modern Stoicism movement. I've also invited Jennifer Baker, who is a professor of philosophy at the College of Charleston uh, and who also writes for psychologytoday.com. Brittany Paulett is also here today. Brittany is the author of Journal Like a Stoic, uh, the founder of Stoic Care, a board member of Modern Stoicism, and the author of the newsletter Stoicism for Humans. Uh, and Sukraj Gill will also be joining us. Sukraj is a London-based solicitor and uh, the Aurelius Foundation manager. She enjoys reading around Stoic ideas and practice. So International Women's Day, Stoicism and Beauty. In the age of the Instagram selfie, isn't it true that many of us focus uh, often as a priority on our physical beauty so that, you know, we might attract a lover, a life partner, or even a reputation, a career, a social media following. But uh, what if our beauty, our real beauty, is and always was found in our inner moral beauty in our moral excellence uh, and our moral behavior, the excellence of our mind and of our reason, our character, our behavior, and the way we care for others. How might we as women help each other, but also help our partners and friends and children of all genders become aware that we and they are valued for moral beauty above all else? We will explore what the Stoics might teach us about valuing our own internal moral beauty and also what they say about physical beauty. How might we do this? How might we teach ourselves this? What are the challenges 
today. And on that note, everyone, let us get into the conversation on International Women's Day. We're going to talk about stoicism and beauty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stoic Salon. On the occasion of International Women's Day, I have gathered together a group of my favorite Stoic women, Sharon LaBelle, Jennifer Baker, Brittany Polat, Sukraj Gill, and we're going to talk about beauty, moral beauty, and wherever the conversation takes us. We're going to kick off with an opening round. Uh, I'm just going to ask the speakers just for a mini introduction, although you all know them quite well now. Uh, ask them what their why Stoicism answer is. Uh, let me just click the mute there for a second. And uh, maybe ask them to travel back to their childhood to retrieve a memory of that understanding of beauty that we might have learnt in childhood, inherited, um, taken along with us through uh, adolescence and uh, early adulthood, etc. any sort of experiences that might have informed your uh, conception of beauty, philosophical folk intuitions. Um, yeah, let's start there. And maybe any conceptions of beauty that you think stoicism might be a challenge to or um, uh, might confirm. So let's start with a broad uh, introduction and then we'll dive in deep. So let us begin with... Sharon, over to you, Sharon. Great day. I'm Sharon LaBelle, and I'm best known for uh, this book I wrote back in the day. It's called The Art of Living, and it's uh, a modern interpretation of the teachings of Epictetus. Uh, let's see, to speak to your questions, Catherine. Um, why Stoicism? The short answer for me is Stoicism, uh, I would say it, it helped me think for myself. It helped me claim the authority of my own perceptions, something that I think is especially important for women, but for everyone. And as far as conceptions of beauty that I was raised with or exposed to, in, in my world, uh, er erudition equaled beauty. Um, there was, beauty was not uh, so much a personal endowment but it was something that you would make. It was something that you would give. It was something you would notice. It was something you would extend, uh, uh, accentuate. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Over to the next person. Jennifer, do you wanna pop in next? Oh, sure. I'm a professor of philosophy and I work on ethical theory and I'm a stoic and interested in stoicism because I think it's the most explanatory of all approaches to morality. And, you know, I think it's easily updatable and fits really well with behavioral psychology and 
people's experiences of pursuing um, like false final ends. And I guess that's how beauty ties in because it's a really common, I think, um, pursuit, personal pursuit for people. And I think the stoic explanation of how that just won't pay off and there won't be internal rewards from that pursuit is, is perfect. <laughs> Give it at that. Did you want to maybe offer any sort of early views uh, about beauty that you might have? Yeah. One way I was lucky um, was that you know, I wasn't really in the um, contest for most beautiful. And I'm sure that helps people long-term, but I also always had an appreciation for other people's um, beauty. And, you know, when I, with my own children, I'm, I'm interested in that. And it, and, and it seems like the advice Epictetus gives, I mean, you don't want to be threatened by it or pretend it's not there. You actually want to appreciate and cultivate um, respect for beauty and its proper role, but having friends and also, you know, older um, loved ones, I, I, I feel like that must be crucial to people's um, uh, self-esteem, you know, having role models or people you adore who, you know, are, are 70, you know, and not going to fit in some traditional, like once you love a person that age, you know, you're not going to care as much about being perfectly beautiful at uh, 17. Um, but also having enough friends that you had some that were very beautiful, it's pretty easy to see uh, how it doesn't work out. So I feel like there's a lot right. of perceived beauty, right. um, maybe the standard kind, because I'm not a psychologist. So uh, I, of course, would never attempt to figure out cause and effect when it comes to um, eating disorders or, or some disorders like that. But um, I do think it's pretty easy to discover that the most beautiful, beautiful people in society don't find it as important as those watching them do. <laughs> I love that. Thanks, Jennifer. Brittany, how about you? Yeah, so first of all, thank you so much for hosting this, Catherine, and thank you, Sharon and Jennifer, for offering those viewpoints. I completely agree with you, and throughout our talk, I would be interested in hearing more from you about how you raised your daughters. I think you both have daughters. My oldest daughter, well, my only daughter, my oldest child is 10 right now, so she is about to embark on, you know, adolescence and after that womanhood. And I'm very interested in thinking about how to direct her. And obviously stoicism is going to be a very big part of that. So why stoicism? I think most people here know my story, how I actually, you know, was in a crisis in my life looking for direction and came across a book on stoicism. And it just was mind blowing for me. It was like, aha, everything that didn't make sense before makes sense now. You know, this is the way life is supposed to be. So for me, it's become a guide for how to live my life and also how to direct my children, because that's very important for me as well. Um, other question, beauty. Okay. So I feel like my main emotion surrounding beauty in my adolescence was confusion, <laughs> So this might be common to other girls and women as well, but I remember, I think I have two clear memories from adolescence of surrounding beauty. One is I was looking in the mirror, just trying to figure out, 
you know, am I beautiful? Am I not beautiful? I don't know. I can't figure it out. Like there was nothing that would tell me. And, and I feel like that led me to some reflections on how beauty is so external, which is obvious, but other traits that we have that I felt I had that I admired in my friends, such as intelligence or wit, good humor, being a good friend, you know, that's something that you know you have, right? And it's something that benefits you and it benefits the people around you. Whereas beauty, I mean, how does that provide a benefit? So my other or external physical beauty, how does that provide a, a clear benefit? So my other emotion was just confusion about how beauty was important, a certain configuration of body parts, whether that's facial features or, you know, your figure, how one configuration completely random of body parts would be more highly valued than another. So that was kind of my starting point in adolescence. Wow. Thanks, Brittany. Uh, Sukraj, how about you? Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Catherine. Uh, so for just by way of a, a brief introduction, I'm a sister. I live in London. I was introduced to Stoicism a few years ago, and I'm one of the foundation managers at the Aurelius Foundation. Uh, my introduction to Stoicism, like Brittany's, was through personal crisis, is through a very severe illness, and I was very lucky to make a, a full recovery. Um, and for me, Stoicism was very much an opportunity whilst I was on uh, sick leave to decide how I want to deal with the circumstances and ultimately lay the track for reconstructing who I wanted to be with whatever bonus time I'd now been granted. Um, and the analogy I always use here is ultimately we are our own ship steering our way through life. Uh, we ultimately decide who we want to be. We decide, uh, you know, with every plank we lay down of our own foundation, whatever bedrock we have, we decide what that looks like through the, the collection of judgments and decisions we make every day. Um, when it comes to beauty, it's interesting. And I'm sure this is something that will come up as part of this discussion. Um, it's certainly it's something that I, I would I would like to raise. I think it's incredibly pertinent because when you're steering your your own ship through life, you ultimately cross the path of many other ships. And physical beauty <laughs> is something that gains a lot of attention. And certainly when we're looking at media of attention, um, when we look at social media, it is often physical beauty which gains the front page. Uh, I think that's an important topic, and I'm sure that we're we're going to touch on that. Um, but it certainly feeds into my own evolving beauty standard. Uh, certainly when I was growing up, um, I didn't have a lot of involvement with the media, but there comes a tipping point, I think, in every girl's life where you start to take an interest. And for me, it was Britney Spears. I was a huge Britney Spears fan, kind of missed the Spice Girls, um, but I had every Britney Spears single. It was my dream to go to one of her concerts. Um, I never did. I even tried, I was even, even in Vegas um, a few years ago. I tried to get tickets. It was all sold out. Um, but she was very my, my first step to deciding that that's what beauty was. The real question for teenage girls is, is really important as part of this discussion, because what is beauty? At that age, it's, um, I think, really, we equate beauty to popularity. And it's only as I became older, I discovered more you know, different role models. Even in your mid-20s, you continue to discover role models. Often they might be, I think now, very well-respected politicians. They're often partners at my law firm. Where I think um, they have a, an intelligence that transcends um, physical beauty that I respect so much more. Yes, these are very attractive women as well. 
but we we value things very very differently and I would say and correct me I'm very open to anybody taking it an opposing view but I would say that the our evolving standard of beauty is not just a personal one it's the one that we've seen through the decades even if you look at old newspapers and magazines from Marilyn Monroe now to Selena Gomez or Hailey Bieber, our standard of what we can see, consider to be the apex of beauty has really changed as well. So it's not unusual that I would say that my experience has also reflected not only personal development in ascertaining what I think beauty is, but also the fact that the goalposts for physical beauty keep moving as well. Back to you, Catherine. Thanks, Sukraj. Always interesting to hear from you. As for me, I had a very reluctant uh, engagement with the Stoics because I thought that there was no beauty in them. Epictetus wasn't much of a poet, uh, etc. And so it was it was quite difficult for me to embrace the Stoics. But of course, reading them uh, today, uh, there, there's certainly a lot um, in terms of aesthetics, and we're, we're probably going to touch on a, a couple of things um, today. As a child, overall, I remember that beauty was about, it had a very broad kind of understanding. Um, good manners, for example, um, helping others was part of being beautiful. Style, how you um, comported yourself, how posture, all of that sort of stuff was was um, part of being a beautiful child. I did ballet when I was a kid, was a, a performer, and so it wasn't so much about physical beauty, being a performer or, or being on the stage, but rather about how well you performed, how well you acted. So there was hard work involved in becoming beautiful and preparing, getting makeup on for a lead role, etc. My mum used to say, you know, the classic, no pain, no gain. She'd say it in Greek. I can't remember the Greek right now. <laughs> but there was a point uh, very early on in my career as a woman that I understood um, that there was going to be an issue with the body. I was really young, uh, maybe about three or four in ballet class. And I was a Greek kid growing up in Australia. So, um, you know, well fed, so to speak. So I had like some chubby thighs in my little ballerina outfit. And I remember my ballet teacher um, just pointing that out that I should probably be careful about how much I eat. And so I was about three or four at that point. And that was the first time that I felt shame. I was ashamed that my thighs, as the ballet teacher um, said, sort of would rub against each other on a hot day because they were just that slightly little chubbiness on the inside of my thighs. So shame came early on with beauty, but overall, I was more of a reader. Um, as an adult, I you know studied philosophy, etc. So it was very much the intellectual pursuits that I engaged in. Um, and it really wasn't until I was maybe 27 where I started paying more attention to my external looks. And that was because I was in an English class. I was a teacher teaching English to migrants. And my work was really important because I was you know, teaching language, which could really transform someone. So I was very much engaged in the work. Um, but I had a class of about 12 men and they were migrants to Australia, mechanics. Um, and I think they were from the Middle East. And uh, at one point, one of them looks up at me and I'm the teacher in the class and says, you know what, Catherine, if you just lost two kilos, you would be beautiful. <laughs> 
And uh, I think, I don't know if that was like a turning point, but um, yeah, I think I was very much an intellectual, but that really, that stung uh, at that point. After that, I started reading Judith Butler and my, my, my feminist education began. But anyway, that's, that's me in a nutshell. Um, let's bring the Stoics in now. Um, there is a, a quote, uh, which was on the, the landing page, everyone, um, you've probably seen it, but let me just read it. It's uh, Epictetus in the Enchiridion uh, 40. Um, I've, uh, so I'll just read it. As soon as they reach the age of 14, women are called ladies or mistresses of the house. They've grown up and gained some power. And now they see that there's nothing more to gain except to become sexually attractive. So they set to work to beautify themselves and place all their hopes in that. It is worth our, and maybe Brittany, this might bring in, you know, your daughter's now 10. So maybe this is, we can bring up that conversation again. Epictetus says it's worth our while then to make them aware, our girls are 14, that they're valued. And I believe this this is relevant to both girls, boys, um, uh, all our children. Uh, it is worth our while then to make them aware that they're valued for nothing other than attaining self-control and self-respect. So let's maybe look at our children um, and also this concept of valuing um, virtue. Um, moral beauty as well. I might hand this over to you, Brittany, because um, you might want to bring in and define moral beauty and uh, maybe pop back to your daughter and see where that takes us. Yeah, sure. Well, before I forget, I just wanted to mention one thing that I always tell my daughter, which is that external beauty is just the icing on the cake, but the cake itself is your character, you know, being a good person who you are. You can't have the icing without the cake, right? That would just be a muddled mess, although it would still taste pretty good. But the cake is the main thing. The cake is what supports the icing. So you can eat a delicious slice of cake, you know, have a delicious character, and that's what really matters. And then beauty, eh, it's, you know, it's an indifferent. If you have it, great. If you don't, no big deal, right? So that's kind of how, that's just one way I've approached it. But yeah, so this idea of women being pleasing to men obviously goes back to time immemorial. And I think that particular Epictetus quote is a result of the absolutely horrible condition of women in the Greco-Roman world. I mean, they didn't have any rights. They were married off as teenagers and spent their lives basically doing what their husbands wanted, having children, this kind of thing. So they truly had a terrible burden in life. And we've come a long way since then, fortunately, but in some ways we're still laboring under this idea that we have to be pleasing to men or to each other, right? Sometimes it's competition between women as well. So this idea of moral beauty, I think, can offer someone. So first of all, I think it's important instead of just telling people, hey, you know, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't put so much emphasis on external beauty. I think it's important to offer an alternative, right? An enticing, appealing alternative. Okay, so then what do we emphasize? Why is it better to not emphasize external beauty? What else is there for me? So I think this idea of moral beauty can offer that. It's it's very appealing and it's a way of, you know, enticing people in the other direction. So 
moral beauty, the, the way I see it is something, obviously it has to do with your character, right? With a beautiful character. And it's interesting. This is a very common phrase. If I say a beautiful character, you know, we all have something in mind, right? This would be a person who maybe is selfless, courageous, wise, all of these things that we typically associate with stoic virtue. And when we encounter someone with moral beauty, a lot of times it makes us want to be beautiful too, right? So we use the term elevation, moral elevation. When we see somebody doing a good deed for someone else or doing a heroic act, it makes us, it inspires us. We say, oh, wow, you know, this is what it means to really be a good person. This is what it's all about. So I think moral beauty inspires us to be morally beautiful ourselves. Whereas just constantly focusing on physical beauty makes us miserable. You know, then we're comparing ourselves and looking at the ways that we lack, you know, oh, I can never be that beautiful. So moral beauty elevates, whereas a lot of times, not always, of course, but in a lot of cases, just looking at physical beauty kind of brings us down and makes us sad. I love that. Thanks, Brittany. And I'm just going to read one more quote, everyone, from Seneca. It's, you actually brought this up, Brittany, in your notes. It's Seneca, Letters on Ethics. Um, it's 115. So Seneca says, if we could imagine, no, rather, if we could examine, and of course, talking about man, but um, Brittany reformulated it to include the term woman. If we could imagine the mind of a good woman, oh, what a beautiful, what a sacred sight we would see, what grandeur, what calm would shine forth in it, and what constellations on of the virtues, justice on one side, courage on the other, moderation and prudence over there, Besides these, frugality, self-control, endurance, generosity, and cheerfulness would shed their light upon it. What grace and, by God, what dignity would these bestow? How great its authority would be and how much appreciated, beloved it would be, yet at the same time revered. And from Seneca, over to you, Sharon, your comments. <laughs> uh, my goodness. Well, that quotation puts me in mind of the palpable power of moral beauty. When you encounter it, I've been lucky enough to encounter it in my life within very mundane settings, because Arguably, it is within the mundane, it's within the in-betweens, the interstices of life where morality is expressed and all these micro decisions that are made moment by moment by moment by moment by us, by our interlocutors, by our communities, our families. At the same time, I'm thinking about physical beauty and I'm thinking about say the Stoic Canon, which is of course written by males uh, who had their own experiences in the world and from which we can extrapolate universal principles. Nevertheless, there is something missing in that Canon and 
one of the things that isn't talked about, I think, too much is the vulnerability that goes with beauty for females, not uniquely, but pervasively. And beauty is very, very complicated for females. Do I even have to say that? It is, it's our currency, whether we asked it to be or not. It's the way we simply get noticed. But, you know, the, the, the fact that it, it differentiates us perhaps from, from others, we get, to, uh, we get to exist because our beauty said, you know, drew attention. That's a, that's a good thing. Well, it's, it's just a thing. It's just is. Um, and we can also get hurt. I mean, I know, I know at the, you know, I'm old now and I'm comfortable with my body, but I know when I was a pretty young thing, it's, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. It just wasn't. I mean, it, it was, it was icky. <laughs> you know, you, there was just a lot of unwanted attention. There was violence. You know, we have to say it. There was violence. There was aggression. Um, so what do we do about beauty? I, I realize I'm saying a lot of things uh, that might seem like non sequiturs, but I think the word beauty, it, it, it just has so much elasticity to it. And it, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of difference between the beauty of a poem and the beauty of an Instagram picture. And I think these distinctions are important. Enough said for now. Well, yes, trust you, Sharon, to bring everything in. <laughs> that was great. Um, Jennifer, do you want to pull something out of that and grab it and go with it? Thanks, Sharon. Uh, it, it, yeah, I'm still thinking about it. Sharon's so good. Um, but going back to the discussion of children with Brittany, if that's okay, um, I'm just yeah. thinking about my conscious plan. So please, someone feel free to check this. My kids are 16 and 14, but I have been kind of deliberate about it. And I've um, done the same thing I always did, which is uh, compliment and admire other people's beauty without being jealous of it. And I think that's powerful for little kids because I hear from students a lot, far too often, that things their parents said about how important it was for them to be beautiful or, you know, it's always more beautiful than the people around you. That's what I always think is so competitive. You know, it's not supermodel, but it's like more beautiful than uh, your peers, which is going to be alienating and not make people close with each other. Um, but my students have gotten that impression from parents and it, it still comes up in their mind or in, you know, discussion about life. And I'm not sure it doesn't work. You know, I think some of these young women have complied, you know, so they have kept themselves beautiful because their parents have made it clear 
or their moms, maybe mostly, maybe not, but they, it, it works, you know? So if you make a child think that their value is partly how beautiful they are, a source of pride they are to you because of their beauty, I think that does get taken in. So I've made sure to, to, uh, you know, act like it's an indifferent, I mean, which is pretty easy and natural to do like, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. Move on. You know, like there's no, there's no connection between someone else's beauty and anything I want for my kids. But on the other hand, I think uh, the Stoics point out, you have to cultivate um, an ability to see beauty and you see so many cruel, miserable people online judging others' beauties. I mean, you know, big thought leaders and stuff. And I always think they're, they've really failed. Um, and my example of moral um, moral beauty uh, is, is I see it most often in uh, medical settings. You know, so if you don't find all humans beautiful on a on a floor, <laughs> on a medical floor, there's something wrong with you. Like humans are beautiful. You know, I mean, it's it's right there to see. So I I have tried to do those two levels. You know, call my girls and boy beautiful every second, and then at the same time. Uh, try and ensure they have no interest in beating what should be their friends in some awful empty contest. Thanks, Jennifer. That's really interesting, actually. Uh, Sukhraj, do you want to follow that thread or jump in wherever you like? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I don't have children personally, but when I think of myself growing up, when I think of my younger cousins and so on, um, I completely agree with you, Jennifer. I know it's, it's everyone's personal opinion. Everyone has a different approach. But I know growing up, my parents didn't place any value on physical beauty. Um, makeup wasn't a thing. I wasn't allowed to wear makeup at school anyway, because we'd always get pulled up on nail varnish jewelry or anything at all. So we've got quite a strict uniform code. But it wasn't encouraged at home either. Um, physical beauty wasn't seen as any kind of currency in our household. And it was only really after being exposed to um, mainstream media that I started to become more aware that beauty, you know, to Sharon's point, is something of a, a currency and there's attention for it, whether or not uh, you want it. And certainly those who are considered to more, be more conventionally beautiful can get the oxygen of a lot more attention for that purpose. Um, which brings me on to what I think is a really important practical point around praise. And I think my chosen quote um, that you may have seen, Catherine, uh, was from Marcus Aurelius. Um, and it's an emerald. It's an emerald even if it is not praised. Um, it's a simple one, but it's one that I have tried to form as a, you know, one of the foundations of, of my personal ship. Um, because the word praise immediately you're relying on an external source right a lot of time we say we praise ourselves mm -hmm. often we don't normally when we're talking about praise in colloquial terms we're relying on someone else to praise us um and i would say from a, a stoic perspective you're effectively outsourcing your judgment to someone else if you're then chasing praise right and that comes down to assessing and looking at your own definition of whether that's inner beauty um, to, to Brittany's point about moral elevation or what we consider to be physical beauty to, to Jennifer's point about what we might see um, in, in the media or when we're looking at, at other people and so I would say what the Stoics or what Marcus Aurelius might tell us 
is that praise shouldn't be the driver. We need to recognize when we're looking at our own character, we're defining our own judgments, how we see ourselves, how we want to exercise our morality and, and effectively construct our own moral compass. And the same goes for assessing what we believe physical beauty to be um, for multiple reasons. And I think, like I said in the, the opening, physical beauty, the goalposts keep moving. You're chasing what is a moving goal constantly. You know, if you, you look at the, the fashion of plastic surgery for what it was 10 years ago to what it is now, treatments are constantly changing and women are constantly chasing those. Um, treatments. Um, it can be eyebrow lifts or removing fat from different parts of the face. These are simply trends and you see women keep moving them. So if we're relying on praise from an external source, not only do we have to filter out um, what that external source might be, we then have to be very mindful that these goals keep moving. And so I think the Stoics would tell us that we have to define the emerald that we are. Um, and not to state the obvious, but if we're talking about memento mori, if we're talking about uh, time, um, the reality is, is your your beauty is like health that's being uh, effectively dismantled brick by brick, day by day. Um, yeah. And ultimately, your your physical beauty, it, it does change over time. Um, you're, you know, I can't remember who mentioned it, but you're not 17 forever. You're not 25 forever. And I always think it's quite interesting because there's so much weight that's placed on physical beauty. And I am currently on the, the dating apps and I hate photographs and that's not really working out for me. Um, but you're effectively trying to chase, not chase attention, but you're actually attracting attention for physical attributes. But actually, when you look at the your lifeline, your physical beauty currency is depreciating constantly. But what is constantly actually appreciating value is your moral character, your moral conduct, the robustness of your moral compass. Um, so I would say for, for anyone considering what moral beauty means to them, or in fact, what beauty means for them, even if you are struggling, I think, in the face of what is often a, a barrage of different stimuli from the media in terms of telling what beauty is it's so important to take a step back because actually not only is it from a stoic perspective if you're um continuing to develop as a stoic to not outsource your judgment but equally even if you're considering um things from an objective view the feedback loop that's created for you and relying on external praise will ultimately only let you down as time goes on because yeah. your physical beauty will deteriorate. We will all become old, but it's your moral character that actually becomes so much more powerful um, and you yourself become a role model for others as time goes on. Um, I just wanted to add, a, I think, a, a personal point there about the, the weight point, uh, Catherine. And I think this, this illustrates this corner of the conversation quite well. And I'm... Personally, I found it quite upsetting that your ballet teacher said that to you, um, because I remember I took ballet lessons until I was about 18 or 19 years old. And I remember when I was very, very young and in the in the child's um, in, in the child category, I must have been maybe just under under seven. We had little tutus that we wore in class. And then as we went up the grades, you had to remove the tutu. 
And I don't know why, but I was incredibly conscious of my weight and I just didn't want to take my tutu away because it felt like it was personal protection. Um, And actually, and this is open for discussion, weight is very interesting when we look at it from a beauty perspective, right? Because actually a lot of um, the aspiration for modern beauty for some women could actually be very unhealthy when you look at their weight. But actually, I, on a very personal point, found it very difficult. I was extremely ill a few years ago, and I lost about two and a half, three stone very, very quickly. But people hadn't seen me over the pandemic. And I remember walking into the office and and seeing people, and someone said to me, oh, wow, what have you done? You look great. The pandemic has been so kind. And I'd gone through an experience which had really shaken the foundation of my life and I had to pick up all the jigsaw pieces of my life put everything back together and figure out how I was going to to work through this and and recover and I think that redefined or I think reinforced that it's so important to decide how you see beauty because other people's perception of when and you do and don't look well or when you do or don't look attractive or look good should really not factor in in any way and into how you see yourself the person that you look at in the mirror because effectively that's a a loop that you're never going to win I don't when I think of that quote from Marcus Aurelius I think he's really trying to tell us stand fast to your your own convictions of your character and how you feel about yourself because praise may ultimately drive you in the wrong direction Thanks, Sukraj. So much there. But Sharon, I wonder whether you want to jump in and respond to Sukraj. It kind of brings it back to you, maybe. I I need to hold what she just said. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm going to pass for this moment. Okay. Yeah, I have so many. Jennifer, go for it. Well, I just have a jokey quick thought about if women were writing ancient stoicism, I'm sure there'd be some line we memorized that like went, if only I could be so ugly to people who aren't virtuous. <laughs> I mean, it'd be perfect <laughs> if you if you were unattractive to the people who didn't want to attract. But because we hold out the idea that beauty is somehow rewarding, we're so interested in everyone's vote, but it actually would be optimal if we repulse the people that are uh, not good to have close to you. Jennifer, that reminds me of that story of uh, Hypatia who um, repelled an admirer or a lover by showing him her uh, period pad, her menstruation, um, whatever it was that she was had at the time. So I always found that a very courageous move on Hypatia's part, like really bold uh, move. Yeah. Um, I have so many questions. Uh, you know, I, I love the idea of just navigating dating, Sukraj, on the apps, like how can you be beautiful, morally beautiful on Instagram and on the dating apps where you, it's basically almost, um, it's not even just the visual, it's the brevity of time that you have to make the connection, 
right, yes. before you get swiped or whatever it is. So I'm saying how quickly can you show your moral, you know, seriousness in the moment you have before someone has to swipe right or left or whatever it is. I don't know what happens on the apps. Um, and same with Instagram, you're scrolling so quickly, you really don't have much time to show anything other than an image. So I don't know if anyone wants to pick up on that. I have another question um, which relates back to what Brittany was saying about experiencing and witnessing moral beauty. And in fact, there was a study um, published via the Greater Good magazine which looked at moral beauty, witnessing moral beauty um, results in us experiencing awe. And that is a, a transformational kind of almost spiritual experience. It it for it encourages us, it encourages pro-social behavior. So if, if there is that um, socially positive aspect of witnessing moral duty, do we then have a duty to be beautiful? I don't know what the Stoics say about duty. Does anyone want to pick up on that? And then I also want to talk about aging women and aging beauty. But uh, opening the floor, whoever wants to jump in, there's Sukrash. I can certainly comment on the, the dating apps. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else wants to. Um, I think if I'm going to comment, this is purely from a personal perspective, everyone that I speak to who's been on dating apps for a while tends to find that actually it's all, it's all an illusion. We have this uh, illusion of abundance when it comes to dating apps. And it's exactly that. You see a lot of photos, you're making snap judgments based on the photos that you're seeing. You may or may not scroll down to read someone's profile. But what's so interesting about that takeaway and this sense of online exhaustion or when people have in their tag when they're on well-known dating apps, I'm on here in order to get off here right, or they're really aiming to not be on the app for very long, is that sense that ultimately inner beauty trounces physical beauty. Um, because they'll be on there for a while, and it doesn't feel like there's any real substance, there's no real connection. And I would say colloquial spe colloquially speaking, and it'd be interesting to hear other people's thoughts on this, but what that really feels like to me is that beyond physical beauty, to Brittany's you know, wonderful analogy is everyone wants the substance of the cake inside. The icing is simply not enough. Um, and ultimately, as you walk through life, it's not the physical beauty that counts. And I, I think that everyone's personal experience would continue to compound that. Thanks for that insight, Sagraj. <laughs> um, Jennifer, were you about to pop on? Um, uh, I, I don't know what to say after that. So <laughs> I can't imagine being, on, I would do terribly on dating apps. I guess I would say that, um, it is surprising to me. Like I, uh, I am surprised when people are really interested about how they look, um, once they have a partner, that's always interesting to me. I mean, it's, if relationships are satisfying, you'd think you'd be done with attracting. And so maybe I'm misunderstanding some of it. And I'm actually, I feel like Stoics really approve of someone feeling cute because they have on new earrings. You know, I mean, uh, the uh, description from Epictetus on how we should admire pretty rhetoric, you know, you can still admire the little things, you know, that doesn't go too deep. I, you know, I think lots of people have Stoic kind of strategies, even though they're, they, they might not have ever heard of uh, Stoicism. 
Um, but I do wish uh, friendships were less jealous and relationships were more satisfying. Um, it's Simon Blackburn. So he's a philosopher and he was talking about selfies. Um, and his comment was as uh, he's not that much older than me, but a little bit older. And so seeing selfies from a, a different generation, he said, they all look so unloved. <laughs> and I, I, I think I, uh, Agree. <laughs> wow, bombshell. <laughs> um, mic drop moment there. Interesting. Thanks. Uh, I have Sharon. a question that yeah. I would I would love to put to all of you. Uh, we all know that across the history of Western philosophy, I mean, starting with Aristotle, the good, the beautiful, and the true are so often talked about in the same breath, or even sometimes equated. Thoughts? Brittany, you're leaning forward. I think you might have yeah, so that's an excellent point. I would say he's talking more about moral beauty rather than external physical beauty, right? So again, that brings us back to the idea of beauty in our characters or beauty in the world around us. I don't think we've mentioned yet this beautiful Marcus Aurelius quote where he says, when you learn to truly appreciate the world around you, you find beauty everywhere in the baking of bread. And of course, he uses the famous example of the cracks in the top of the bread. And you know, even in the foam of the boar's mouth or elderly men and women, beauty is everywhere when you're not looking for that you know, physical attractiveness. Instead, we're looking at whether something is doing what it's meant to do, right? So virtue in a person is a person being rational and social, exhibiting these pro-social qualities and excellence of character and thinking and this kind of thing. When a person does this, they're doing what a person is meant to do. They're fulfilling their human nature. And this is beautiful. Or when bread is baked, it's doing what bread is meant to do, right? Um, so I think when we go back to this this Aristotelian idea, that's kind of what we're looking at is the function, beauty and function. So yeah, thank you, Sharon. I love this idea. And I think it can, again, help guide us in a more um, internal beauty direction rather than external. I have a funny um, anecdote. So a friend of mine is a uh, very physically beautiful in an objective way. And I was teasing her about worrying about it as she got older, as she was aging, and she maintains it. I mean, people are successful. So she puts in the effort and does maintain it. But I was like, why do you care so much about it? And she gave me a list of things people do for her because she's so beautiful, <laughs> but they were really little things. They're like the same things people do for me. You know, just if you're like uh, smiley, you get the same, same things, um, you know, really minor. Like I, I got to go in front of this guy in a line and you know, the, the, the guy at the gas station, you know, just friendly things. So I do think sometimes people who are incredibly beautiful are a great source of, of what it adds up to. You know, I think they should be listened to more. I don't know why their descriptions get ignored um, when other people want to be them so badly. But on the other hand, it's going to make you feel less love for humanity if if what you get is, is due to external beauty, which 
yeah, maybe it's different if you are responsible for it. I can see how an athlete or a dancer is responsible for it. I mean, that does seem a little different to me, but if it's really um, not something uh, you've worked for that you're uh, gifted for in your mind, you're, you're, you're going to know less about other people. I mean, the world is going to seem like a less generous place, even though you're getting the gifts, it's all conditional. Sarah, did we answer your question? Oh, Brittany's going to add something. Oh, I actually didn't want to add something. I wanted to pose a question of my own um, about social media, because I know we've talked about that and I wanted, we don't have too much longer. So I wanted to ask kind of like Sukraj's point about the dating apps, but social media is such a pervasive influence for everyone, especially women. And we're aware of research that shows the detrimental mental health effects on women, particularly young women, adolescents, and even, you know, girls as young as 10. So I wondered if we could talk for a minute about social media you know, Instagram, TikTok, this kind of thing, even if we in the family are, you know, make a concerted effort to approach beauty in the the right way, you know, our girls, our boys, everybody is getting these influences all around them. So what can we do to kind of counter this and keep everyone mentally healthy? I think I'd like to add a really small comment there. I completely agree, Brittany. It, I think that children when I think of when I was growing up social media we we had Facebook like Facebook was finding its feet we had high five and now really children are living in a world with 24 7 it they're surrounded by social media and it's really difficult for parents because they're posed with really difficult questions about how to manage social media or ban social media entirely which in itself isn't a solution and in fact you probably make social media that much more alluring um one of the things that I found is that I'm by no means a teenager, but I'm not immune to social media. Um, often you'll see Instagram reels and you still think, oh, wow, she, she looks amazing. Or how does she do that? Oh, there's a new product. Let me let me see if that would work for me. Um, and you, you, I think we often when we're having a conversation about social media, we're talking about young people and we should be. But the reality is that it continues to affect women and and men but i would argue that there's probably more content on there for women um throughout the generations i don't think it's confined to teenagers or young women or young adults in particular and i'm not sure if anyone follows um filters or anything like that on instagram but one of the most valuable um, lessons that I've showed one of my younger cousins was the before and afters with and without Instagram filters to really start to poke holes in what they think is the reality of online life. Um, simply so they can take away um, to understand that a lot of this, it isn't real. It's, it's very much an illusion, a construct of somebody's online reality. Um, I do think that as social media becomes more sophisticated, we as users, as parents, as mentors, are becoming more aware of how to manage that conversation rather than try to live in a world uh, without it entirely. That does seem like a very stoic approach, the before and after the filter. Um, uh, it's almost time, everyone. I thought we might do a closing round. A couple of choices. You, you can just add a comment about anything that you haven't said that you really want to say, 
or maybe a comment just to close, um, placing beauty within the stoic cosmos. So impermanence, memento mori you mentioned, Sukraj. Um, beauty as this corrupting, transient, changing reality. We're aging. Any comments on the impermanence of beauty or any other comment as we do a closing round? Sharon, over to you. Well, I can say that aging is freedom. <laughs> it's <laughs> speaking as someone who's raised up six kids, I've got six grandchildren. It's I've I've never felt so so beautiful, so funny, so at home in the world. I wish that for everyone. A um, little bit unrelated, but I just wanted to throw this in because we were talking about you know how how do we pass on to how do we uh, pass on to children but also remember ourselves not to be so rubbernecked by and influenced by social media. I remember um, when my kids were growing up, and this was before the ubiquity of social media, but we, I don't even know where it came from, but there was a, a kind of um, phrase in our household, which is, seeming isn't being and so we would so when my kids would talk about something that uh overly emphasized how someone seemed i would say well do they seem that way or are they that way and i think it was an important distinction of course vis-a-vis -vis, uh beauty as an ideal but also um as a kind of bulwark against what you might call the culture of self-representation or self-curation, because that's really what we're battling now is um, this kind of packaging of the self. And it's, it's scary because we have to remember how to just be our, our clumsy and perfect selves, because that's, that's who people love, and, that, and that's the place from which we love. Okay, anyway, enough said. Joy to talk to all of you. I love that packaging of ourselves, Sharon. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Jennifer, over to you. Uh, I'll be quick. I really learned so much. I wish I were taking notes, actually. Um, I guess I would just say, as kind of a naturalistic uh, stoic, that nothing compares to the feeling of being loved. And I'm actually going to go with this kind of uh, um, ancient uh, stoic take, loved by friends. Um, not just romantically, we all know what that's like. Uh, we know what it's like. Uh, um, to be children who love a parent and vice versa. But I think there's something special about being loved by a friend. And my most intense moments of beauty have been those moments where your eyes connect. And so many of these other pursuits get in the way of, of that connection. So I, I feel like once people have that, they, they won't go back. <laughs> wow, that was quite moving, actually. 
That was beautiful. Thanks, Jennifer. Brittany, how about you? Yes, thank you so much to everyone here. I've learned a lot too. Um, I just wanted to close with a final thought about maybe cultivating moral beauty. And I was thinking about when Marcus Aurelius says, you know, look for the virtues in the people around you. So I think not only trying to cultivate moral beauty in ourselves, but also looking for it in other people, you know, it, it inspires us whenever we take time to remember to intentionally find moral beauty in others. So Marcus recommends, you know, looking for a particular virtue and everyone, you know, particularly your close friends. What is it about this friend that I love? You know, what, what's that spark in them? So I think the more we can take time to do this following Jennifer's point of building close relationships, I think the better we'll be and the more morally beautiful. Thanks, Brittany. Oh, I love that too. So grudge. <laughs> Thanks. I don't know how to follow all of that. I think there's all great takeaways. <laughs> Uh, I think just to, to add, mine would be to, to maintain a sense of constancy to yourself when you reach your own definition of beauty to continue to, to maintain a sense of constantly to your, to your inner beauty and to understand what physical beauty means to you as well and avoid being buffeted by the winds of impression as you, you walk through life because like we know as developing stoics, you never step in the, the same river twice and beauty, your definitions and your external life keeps on changing. So if we remain constant to ourselves, uh, we remain constant to our own moral compass as well. Uh, thank you, Sharon, Jennifer, Brittany, Sukraj, and everyone in the room today. It's been really lovely having this conversation and sharing it with you all. Wishing you all a very morally beautiful International Women's Day and a very morally beautiful year. Yours in moral beauty. See you again very, very soon. Bye all.